Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see some new faces this morning again. And as the weeks go on, uh, God willing, we'll see more and more people uh, coming, feeling more comfortable to come, have fellowship. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on today, the Word, um, and those things that we've mentioned. Let's ask the Lord's hand to be upon everything that we do and say as a church. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for another Sunday. We thank you for another opportunity to come together and to worship you, to build our lives on your love. What a beautiful phrase, Lord God, to build our lives on the one who loves us dearly, on the one who has given us truth, Lord. And we pray that today and every day this year, we continue to build our lives on your amazing love. Father in heaven, I pray today that you would continue to use this time of gathering to encourage and to strengthen through your word, words of truth, words of peace, words of life that come from your scriptures, not from me, Lord. I pray that you from heaven may speak into the hearts of those that are listening today. Open hearts, Lord, to receive, whether here or online. May you continue to take your word and accomplish that which you set out to do. Father, we pray believing and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is wonderful to come again and share the word of God with you um, at the church. And I pray that you are encouraged through, uh, through the word this morning. And what I'd like to do, and I'll explain in a moment, what I'd like to do is, is share with you uh, on, a, on a particular theme over the next, say, two or three weeks or so. And uh, hopefully it gets us to focus a little bit about who we are as a fellowship as we move into another year, uh, and in particular who we are as Christians as we take our faith seriously. One of the joys I was saying to someone recently, one of the joys that I'll have this year, particularly over the next few weeks, I think in particular, is to be able to start meeting faces of people that I've only seen on Zoom and sometimes only seen their names on Zoom. You know, over the last couple of years, as God has added and as, as the church and the, and the church has grown through the goodness of God, there are some people I haven't actually face to face met, you know, which is really strange as a fellowship. So one of, the, one of the joys that we'll have and all of us will have over the next few weeks is to meet those people. So if you're still online, I encourage you to come. We'd love to see your face. Um, we'd love you to be part of the fellowship as we ought to as a church be together uh, face, face to face. I'll get you to open up your Bibles in a moment to Nehemiah, but you don't need to yet. But do I want you to ask, I want to ask you, do you remember this passage, those of you that have been Christians long enough, do you remember this that Jesus said? Listen to what Jesus said here. And this is, again, don't open it, just from Luke, Luke chapter 12. Jesus said this, consider the ravens. Remember he said that? He said, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Remember he said that? And he wanted us, he pointed us to the birds. Maybe as he was walking the streets, he looked at the, the bird on the street. Maybe he looked at the raven on the street and he pointed them. And he said, look, consider the ravens. Because these little birds, these little birds don't go about building big houses for themselves and build big barns for themselves so they can store away some food in case there's a rainy day or they become unemployed or whatever it is. He says, look at them. God continues to feed them. Little birds. And then he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And he's wanting to reassure his people because I think in the back of his mind, Jesus knew what the cost was going to be and the call of the Christian when they came to follow him. And he wanted to remind them of something really, really simple that they could visually, they could see all the time, that whenever they're feeling like, where's the provision of God? Remember the birds. And the value that God places on us more than them. As not only humans, but his children. And then he uses another description. He says, consider the lilies. Now look at the plants. He says, hey, look how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They're not laboring every day in the factory, making clothing for themselves. They don't toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, who was the king of Israel many years back, who was one of the wealthiest men in the world, he goes, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed or arrayed like one of these. So look at the lilies, how beautiful they are, how wonderful they are. And Solomon, who had all the money in the world, couldn't look as beautiful as them. And again, reminding people that whether you're concerned about food or whether you're concerned about clothing or whether you're concerned about shelter, God is there to provide. That we trust him as his children. But the call, <clears throat> the call to follow him is going to be a great call. But the promise of God for his children is greater. Reminding us that we are more valuable than birds and plants. But then it becomes a question of faith. Because he wraps up that whole thing asking something about their faith. Something that I want to ask us this morning. He, asks, he says, I, I give you these truths and I give you these promises and they all sound very good and reassuring. And then he wants to, I guess, challenge us with, our, with the question of faith. And he says, if then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, meaning it's just burnt, like they take it and they burn it, it's kind of gone. And God still takes the time to clothe these things that are burnt so easily. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And the suggestion is, is that he's saying, basically, you know, if God is doing these things, then your faith has to be grounded in not what your experience is or what you're seeing, but in the God who is promising, promising to always provide whether food, clothing, and the necessities of life. Because we've not just... Um, we're not just choosing to live life, we're choosing to trust him with our lives and go wherever he wants us to go. And because that walk, it's a bit like when Abraham was called just to go, take your family and go. That, that decision to follow him is a decision to put our trust in a God or a father who is promising to take care of every need. <clears throat> That's important. That's important for the Christian who's becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, becoming, that's important for the Christian who's prepared to say to Jesus, Lord, or like, like Ruth said to Naomi, I'll go where you go and my God will be your God. Your God will be my God. That, that, that surrender over to the Lord and promising what, uh, God, that God is going to be, God is going to be providing. So in light of that, I want to ask you, very simply, and it might sound like a bit of a strange question, but what are, you, what are we becoming? 
What are we becoming as, as Christians? What are, we, what are we becoming as a church? Like, what are, what are we becoming? Surely, surely we're moving in a direction that God is pleased with. And in that direction, what do you see yourself becoming? Do you see yourself just becoming a, 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 a better person? Do you see yourself becoming a better member of the church? Do you see yourself becoming more regular attendee of the church? What do we see ourselves becoming and what is the church what is the church becoming because our church this church is not interested in housing people just for comfortability's sake that's not our interest as a church our church does, is not here to house comfortability or or house um um uh, you know, a social gathering of some kind. It's, that's not the purpose of our fellowship primarily. Our, our purpose isn't to bring people into the fellowship and make people feel just nice with each other and, and maybe be able to quote more scriptures in life and, and maybe be able to say a prayer here and there. That's not our purpose of the fellowship. The purpose of the fellowship at the end of the day is to create or to teach things that bring about authentic faith in the lives of people. Faith that will be challenged, but faith that will stand in the light of challenges. Faith that is authentic and genuine, that when God's word speaks, they take up the call and they follow in obedience to the word of God. That's, that's the, the, the intention of the fellowship. Our, our fellowship does not want to create a situation and a comfortability so that so much so that people come to church and they may not even be saved and feel comfortable about where they're at. We don't want that as a fellowship. We don't want people at the end of the day to go to their grave only to realize that they've been patted on the back and then they've never been Christians. And for some people, that's uncomfortable and they get up and they go. For others, it's a challenge, and they take their faith seriously, and they stand. And so sometimes uncomfortable things are said. But for the sake of making sure that when we come to the end of the day, we can look back and say, we haven't, we haven't somehow um, created a situation where people have sat in their comfortability and never really stood up and made their faith real and authentic. I'm sure you would want that as well. Last week, I, I started talking to you. I shared a little bit with you about what the church had, had be, was becoming over the years. And um, I mentioned four things. I just want to mention one more in a moment. I spoke about the calling of God, the establishment of truth, love, and setting our eyes and our minds and things above. But I, I'm, I'm trusting, and when people come and say and make a decision to come into the fellowship... And to, and to make a decision to fellowship with us, that they're wanting to come because they're deciding that their faith, it's time to be authentic and genuine and real about their faith. That's what I'm trusting. And they love, they love to hear this truth. Listen to what Jesus says here. This is what the Bible says here. I'll read it to you from Matthew. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him maybe his mothers and brothers were standing outside thinking to themselves surely you know surely he's going to talk to me because i'm his mum 
Yeah, and I'm his brothers. Now, surely this maybe maybe they thought a sense of entitlement, like as if to say, you know, like, you know, if he's going to talk to anyone, he's going to say, oh, "Excuse me, everyone, my mum's outside. I was going to go have a chat with her. She needs to see me about something." And, not, and that's not being disrespectful, but you know, maybe that's how they came across in, and approached the situation. But Jesus, being Jesus, used it as a teaching opportunity, an opportunity to show people something quite significant about what is authentic and what is real. And they're waiting outside, and so one of them said to Jesus, "Look, your mother and your brothers are." standing outside and they want to speak they're seeking to speak to you but he answered and said to the one who told him who is my mother and who are my brothers wow that's that's a good question think about it for a moment that's a really important question who is my mother and who are my brothers who are the real authentic ones that i know are with me part of my family are the ones by name part of my family saying no are the ones that have a title no are the ones that have the elder or pastor? No. Are the ones that say, I'm a member of ANCF? No. Because they're not the ones, they're not the ones that are my mother and my brothers or my sisters. They're not the ones. They're not those who think they are entitled somehow to something special and spiritual. They're not the ones. And he stretched out his hands toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother, sorry, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. How beautiful is that? The commitment to follow Christ and to do his will and to obey his word, that gives us the entitlement to being his relative, his mother, his father. And he said, can you see why as a church it's absolutely critical that what we do is we make and create this authentic faith. That if someone wants to dabble and play in some kind of sin in their lives, we'll say to them, look, what are you doing? What are you doing? You keep doing that and if you go to hell, then that's your choice. Because what we want is an authentic faith. We want people not to fill the pews, but rather fill the kingdom. Kingdom with righteousness. And this is um, our hope and our prayer, knowing that we serve a God who, as people make these decisions to follow him, that he's a God who says, okay, you've made a decision to follow me? You've committed yourself to following me? Then let me promise you something. See the birds? I'm going to look after you. See the lilies? I'll look after you. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to call anyone into his kingdom to follow him and leave them stranded, lost, and abandoned. But what we sometimes do is this. We'll have one hand with him, but just for security, you have one hand in the world. And the challenge for the Christian is to let go. Yeah, to let go. And allow Jesus to have full control or to be Lord of every area, every area of, our, of his life. And that's why I say this, because every single member of this fellowship, every single person in this church is a valuable member. We don't say, oh, you know what, oh, thank God, 95% of this church is absolutely committed. We can sleep well. We don't say that. Everyone is significant. Everyone is valuable. The church isn't one person. The church isn't one man, one elder, one group of elders. The church is everybody. It's the fellowship. And so everybody, every, every person in this fellowship should be asking themselves a very simple question. What is my responsibility to the kingdom of God? What is my responsibility to God's kingdom?
It doesn't mean everybody can insist on doing what they think they should do, but we pray together as a church and we ask God to raise up those who need to do what has to be done. So Nehemiah is an interesting book because I want to go through and look at some passages in this, in this book. Not, I'm not going to go through the whole book. I'm not going to go through every chapter. I just want to go through certain passages in this book because I want to highlight some things that I think are really significant because Nehemiah is a book. is a book about God's people who had just gone through a really, really tough time called being in exile, yeah? being bound in a foreign land, had gone through some really, really hard times and they're coming back into the promised land and they're rebuilding again, a bit like what's happening to the church today. You know, a couple of years of really, really tough times and now we're rebuilding back. We're getting back, resetting, doing the things that we need to do as we always have done really well. And so I want to take some of these passages in Nehemiah, maybe over two, three weeks, take some of these passages and just remind us of some of the really key things that God is calling us to do and, and expecting us to do as we rebuild, so to speak, or reset, so to speak. But it's going to take us to be very authentic in our faith. We don't do this as a program. Programs without the heart, is, is em- they're empty. A program without life, the life of the Christian is empty. It needs to be done first with the person themselves who absolutely surrendered. The will of the Father who, become, who becomes, if you like, the relative of Christ. So if you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1, and, uh, and I'm just going to read one passage in this, in this chapter. Remembering that as they were coming back, it kind of reminds me of this passage in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body are one body, being many, there's still one body, so also is Christ. And as they were coming back into this place called well, their homeland, every person was responsible. You see, you see people rising up and being responsible. If you like, their prayer was something like this. What's my responsibility for the kingdom? And I pray that, um, that, it, that is everybody who's listening to the word this morning. You know, if you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Pray this is also, this is also your, your prayer. So, really interesting. Nehemiah is in a foreign land. And he's heard, he's just heard that things aren't going too well back in his homeland. Um, Things are pretty tough there. And the people who have survived the exile are are suffering, are struggling. What does he do? It's really fascinating. What does he do? Chapter 1. Now, it probably would have been in every... every, um, probably no, No problem at all if the Bible had said that he consulted with people, they said a prayer... And they went on and did the work. It's reasonable. Probably if we wrote the book, <laughs> probably if humans wrote the book, they probably would have thought, he thought about it, set a plan and head out and, and, and worked on something. Maybe. But what's fascinating about this chapter is there's 11 verses in this chapter and when Nehemiah hears about the problems and the struggles and the challenges and the needs of the people of God during the exile in this whole chapter of 11 verses... 
Eight of them, eight of them are devoted to Nehemiah's prayer. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. That what the Bible wants to tell us, even visually, what's, what it wants to show us, that when the, when the people of God were faced with this need, that the first thing that he found himself doing, that the majority of this chapter is committed to the fact that he sought God, he sought the Lord. Wow, isn't that amazing? The next time you have a, a particular need and problem in your life, that the very first thing you do is to, is to come before the Almighty God and seek Him. Seek Him, not, oh, dear Lord, please help me. Okay, you can do that. If that's seeking for you, then seek God that way. But to seek God through prayer and supplication and to make this request known to Him. Trusting in a God who is behind everything and, and able to supply every need, both to the raven and to the lily and to yourself. To seek him. And I don't mean just formally seek him, but in every part of life, whatever you're doing in life. And it's quite fascinating. So we're going to read, we're going to read this prayer because I think it's a beautiful prayer. Verses 4, chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, and kids, if you've got your Bible open, I want you to read for me how many times, I want you to find when I read, how many times the word servant is used. Got it? How many times the word servant is used? Okay? It's a big word, servant. Basically, someone who says to God, I want to do your will. I'm here to do your will. And that's quite significant why he uses the word servant the amount of times that he does. Okay? So let's read this passage. Let's read this prayer uh, together. And so it was when I heard these words, these are the words that troubled him about the people in, in, um, in exile, back home, sorry. <clears throat> so when I heard these words, then I sat down and wept. And I mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. One day, God willing, maybe we'll talk about this, but I'm curious with the authenticity of our faith, how many of us from time to time commit themselves to prayer and fasting? Uh, New, New Testament teaches it as well. And the beautiful thing about fasting is we're able to, to, to put aside all, if you like, earthly distractions for a time and have our hearts and minds and bodies, everything focused on the Lord uh, in our prayer. But here he was here, the Bible says, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, who keep your covenant with, and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive to and your, and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, and for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted corruptly, very corruptly against you. And we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. 
But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hands. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man being the king of the day that he had to get permission from to go back to his homeland. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful prayer. How many servants were there? Eight? What do you reckon? Eight? Anyone else reckon different? It was eight. Eight servants. Two of them were attributed to Moses, uh, so in the past, and six of them were attributed to the current time. But eight times, well done. Well done. Eight times the word servant is there in a very short prayer. Tells you something, doesn't it? Do we still feel entitled? We come before God with a heart of servant. Remember the, the scripture teaches us that we are unprofitable servants. We're only doing that which is our duty. And yet God elevates us to something far greater and says, I'll look after you more than the birds and the lilies. And this prayer is so beautiful because it's so honest, this prayer. His first thing he's able to say to God is, God, we have sinned against you. We have messed up. We have done wrong against you. The first thing I ask you, Lord, that you would have mercy on us because what we've done. There's no shame in being honest before the Lord. There's no glory in hiding something from God as if like he's not seeing it or he doesn't get it or he doesn't understand. And before we come before God in prayer, and if you know there is something in your heart that isn't right before the Lord, well, the Bible teaches us that if you hide sin in your heart, he's not going to hear your prayer. And so the first thing that we must honestly do before the Lord is if we know there is something that we continue to hold and hide in our hearts that we hope no one finds out because we secretly keep it and we secretly do it, is to deal with that. Any servant of the Lord doesn't serve with one hand holding God and one hand holding the world or their sin because they're going to be conflicted and at the end of the day they're going to fall. But the servant of the Lord says, forsaking all, I follow you, Lord. And so here they, here they are um, confessing who they are before the Lord, but then, um, sorry, admitting what they've done before the Lord, but then confessing who they are before the Lord. And they come and he asks him and he seeks him and he says, Lord, help us. We are your servants. You've redeemed us by great power. Lord, we come. Our desire is to fear you. We prosper us. And that's the prayer of the church today. As we enter into a rebuilding, if you like, or a reforming, if you like, nothing, nothing can happen unless we come with the state, same condition of heart to pray and to seek the Lord who is good and faithful and will provide our every need. Whatever that need is, even the need I mentioned earlier, it's all the Lord's. We trust him. We're not moved by circumstances as much as moved by the hand of God. Remember, this was really significant to Jesus as well. Remember, the Bible teaches us this. When uh, this, do you remember this story about Jesus when he was in the temple? The Bible says Jesus went into the temple 
of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. What were they doing? Here they were in the temple of God and they were buying and selling. Some people suggest that what they were doing is basically ripping people off. What should have been uh, something done in purity before the Lord, people were like making money out of it. And here they were selling in the temple and so when he comes in he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and he says very clear to them that my house shall be called a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves so you've taken what is holy and what is right and you've changed this from what should be prayer to something that is corrupt and what he's really trying to address to the people of God is this. This is the heart and the condition of where the people of God must be. Not necessarily the building of God, though there is an element of respect that we have around the building when we come and we gather and we pray, but every person who forms the house of God should be a person who is willing to be done with all the corruption and deceit of this life and, and be a people of prayer, people who commit and seek the Lord first, who trust not in what they are able to do, but trust in the Lord and his provision. He said, you changed it. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that whatever we do, I think also what this is teaching us is that we should never allow anything in this life to become a distraction on the things of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you what you should do, you know, um, you know um, how, how often you should be at places, but I'm saying the truth, and the truth is that if our lives ever become a distraction of what the Lord has called us to do, then it's wrong. Isn't this our responsibility, brothers and sisters? Do you remember Haggai, the prophet in the Old Testament? Some of you may not remember Haggai. It's got a little book. It's got a really little book in the Old Testament. But he addressed an issue with the people of God that I think is pretty powerful. Because what had happened with the people of God is they had become, uh, they had, they had uh, got to a place in their lives where they were more interested in building their own earthly kingdom than the kingdom of God. He says this to them. The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Wow. Do you understand what he's saying? He's addressing them. He's addressing the people of God. He's saying, you know what, there's a real issue here because you are comfortably seated and sitting and living in all your nice paneled houses and God's house, the kingdom, is lying in ruins because it's not right. So when we come as a church this year and we come to rebuild, reform, reset, move in the direction that God is moving us in then we do that knowing these very very important things God is always going to provide for us number one God is calling us to be a people I believe to pray and to seek his face God is asking us to consider 
not always our attention focused on what we're building earthly, but where is the kingdom being built through our lives as well? I'm not, I'm not saying what you can build, what you can't build, where you can go, where you can't go. I'm just saying these things of this earth must never become so much of a distraction that the kingdom of God is neglected. And Haggai asks the people, he challenges them. Jesus challenges them in the temple as well and says, you've changed it. <laughs> you've changed it. Let's bring it back to be a house of prayer. The church, brothers and sisters, our church, this church, the churches, all have a responsibility, not just to pray, but to pray well, like James taught us, yeah? Pray. Pray with the right motives. Whether it's a church's need, pray. Whether it's your family needs, pray. Whether it's needs to do with your friends, pray. Whether it's needs to do with your work, to pray. And to seek the Lord. To set our hearts to pray, to set our hearts to seek his kingdom. I want, us to, I want to leave that there with, with Nehemiah today. I want to leave us to, to think about as we, as we come to a place, if you like, to rebuild, that we come with a decision to perhaps, Lord, break the habits in my life that have prevented me from doing this. And I set my heart to seek your face. Set my heart to seek your face to pray and to seek your face and ask his guidance and his leading, you as the individual, we as the church. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain, isn't it? And so we're seeking him this morning, breaking the habits that are stopping us and setting our hearts right before the Lord that we can seek him with all our hearts today. Let's pray together. Let's pray and ask the churches uh, the Lord's blessing on the fellowship. As we, as we seek him this morning, as we ask his hand to be in everything that we do. Sometimes news comes our way that's unpleasant or unwanted, but we seek the face of the Lord. We ask the Lord's hand to be upon our circumstances, to lead us as his children, to provide for us as his children, to lead us as his church, to make all things good. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy toward us. We, your servants, seek your face this morning, Lord. We, your servants, confess to you, Lord, all the times that perhaps you have not been first and other things have been a distraction, earthly matters, sinful habits we your servants Lord this morning ask for your mercy and your grace perhaps the last two years Lord have been not where we should be but this morning Lord we, we seek your heart we seek your face we pray your grace be upon us set our face for your kingdom Lord Lord we pray that this year is a year of building strengthening 
glorifying your name. Equip us, Father, and turn our hearts towards you because we love you and we need you, Lord. So we pray your hand be upon this church and every person in it. They may rise up for your name's sake and for your kingdom's sake. Children, young people, adults, that we all, Lord, put our hands to the plow and allow your will to be done through us. Father, I pray, leave no one behind. Leave no one behind, my Lord. Let's just set our hearts upon you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.